morning to you all. My name is Scott Ashman. I'm an elder here at the church. If you've been coming all summer, you haven't heard two, the same person preach two weeks in a row. Uh, that will eventually change, <laughs> uh, God willing, uh, starting September 23rd. But uh, uh, as uh, for the summer, we've enjoyed bringing the word to you. Uh, let's just pray. Father, we, we do thank you for your word. It speaks to us. We don't know, we wouldn't know you without your word, Lord. You've, you've revealed yourself through that special revelation, and we're thankful for that, Lord. And we, we, uh, we ask, Lord, that your spirit would seek us today and, and work in our hearts through your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the question on the screen in front of you is, what in the world is God up to? Maybe you look around the world and you look at what's going on in the White House or at the Congress or Harrisburg or City Hall, and you just shake your head and say, God, what in the world are you up to? Maybe you look at the, the abortion catastrophe in our, in our nation, a million and a half babies every year being killed, uh, and society and even the church just seems to go along its merry way, um, you know, approvingly, somewhat oblivious, and you say, God, what in the world are you up to? Maybe you look at the other injustices in our society, injustices of racism or sexism or, or what's happening with immigrants who are just trying to find a better life for their families, and you say, God, what in the world are you up to? If God is really in control, what's he doing? Why does he allow evil in the world? Or maybe you're not looking at the big geopolitical issues of our time. Maybe you're just thinking about a personal tragedy that's happened to you or to your family. And you say, God, how could you allow this? Or maybe you're just coming here to church and singing the, the songs and listening to the sermon, but your life is kind of going along and, you, and it just does, doesn't seem to have a lot of meaning. And say, you know, God, what are you doing? What is this little life that I'm living? Does it have any purpose at all? What are you up to, God? That's the question we want to talk about today. These are all big questions, and I want to tell you I don't have the answers. I don't know to most of those questions. Uh, But before you just get up and leave and pack up, I want to tell you that God does have answers to all these things, and God cares about these things that are on our heart. But the reality is that God is working a plan... This is all under his sovereign control, and we want to talk today about what is this great plan that God is working that we so often we cannot see. The passage we're looking in in the Bible, uh, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, um, I'm hoping that today this passage, which is a strange little story in many ways, will give us just an inkling, a little picture about what God is doing in the world. Acts chapter 8 focuses exclusively on the ministry of a man named Philip. Now, Philip was not an apostle. He was an ordinary Christian who loved to tell people about Jesus. Um, At the beginning of Acts chapter 8, the the church is scattered because of persecution uh, from Jerusalem, and and they're scattered to the, the neighboring provinces of Judea and Samaria, and Philip finds himself in Samaria, and he starts... Um, sharing the gospel. And what it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, says, When they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God 
in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. You know, the ministry in Samaria was just exploding. People coming to Christ, wanting to be baptized. Uh, and then Philip gets this unusual message from an angel of the Lord. So let's start reading um, in verses, uh, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this is uh, this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they were going down along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself uh, at Azotus, and he passed through, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What in the world is God up to? And I want to suggest what on your screen is what we're going to look at today. Overall, God is patiently pouring out his extraordinary love for the nations, his lavish love for individuals, and his extravagant love for you. We're going to take, hit each one of these. His extraordinary love for the nations. In the week that Jesus was crucified, he was in Jerusalem with his apostles, um, and his disciples wanted to know about the events that were going to be coming in the future. This is recorded in Matthew 24. And Jesus paints a bleak picture. There's going to be earthquakes and famines and wars. Many of his followers would be persecuted and put to death. Many's hearts would grow cold. But then Jesus gives, in Matthew 24, 14, what I want to call the master plan. What's happening throughout all of history. And Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. If you want to know what God is up to, in a nutshell, that's it. This gospel of the kingdom is being preached in all nations of the world before the end, before Jesus' return. That's where we are today in world history. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples in Acts 1.8, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, 
and to the ends of the earth. Pretty clear plan, and we've been seeing this in the book of Acts, how this this played out. But by the end of chapter 7, maybe three years, the the plan is still at stage 1, Jerusalem. You know? And, and God looked down and said, apparently, this will not do. We need to get these folks who we said were going to be witnesses, you know, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, we've got to get them moving. Because the first verse of Acts chapter 8 says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So God just said, I need to get my church moving. And he used this great persecution. You know, you say, why, why would God persecute his own people? I mean, Christians were being killed. Christians were being put in jail. They were being forced to flee their homes. Why would God do that to his chosen people? Well, because there's a, there was a greater plan that God had, and he sent this persecution. God will use every available means to accomplish his main purchase purpose of reaching every nation for Christ, even persecution. And, and this, um, this call to the world, it was not just for them. I want to point out to you that that call has come down through the ages. It's for you. It's for me. This worldwide expansion of the gospel, God put in the hands of little old you, little old me. It's just not for the superstars who who are the great evangelists who want to travel everywhere. Now, we're not all going to go someplace, but God wants each of us to be involved significantly in this worldwide expansion of the gospel. Maybe it's through fervent prayer for those who are going or for nations that are yet unreached. Maybe it's through sacrificial giving so that other people can go. And maybe it's for you to go yourself. Go to the nations where God has called you. But he expects all of us to be part of the plan. Jesus said it very clearly. Now, right before he ascended into heaven, he commanded his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And when we think about nations, we think about, well, you know, there's about 223 or some nations in the world. Um, But when Jesus was talking about nations, he wasn't using the word that we would describe United States or China or India. The word he used was a Greek word, um, or at least translated into a Greek word, ethnos, where we get the word ethnic. So when the Bible talks about nations, it's not talking about what we think is the political nations of today, but it's people groups, small groups of people who call us us and them them. So there might be groups like the Kurds, the Navajo, the Berbers. They don't have a country of their own, but they are an ethno-linguistic group. They speak their own language, they have their own customs, And in the Bible, they're regarded as a nation. It might be Portuguese-speaking people in South Philadelphia. It might be Arabic-speaking people in in Los Angeles. That's how God looks at a nation. It's a a group of people who call us us and them them. In our passage today, we see an Ethiopian eunuch. He's a servant of the queen of Ethiopia. And Jesus' church was still in Jerusalem. They weren't ready to send missionaries to Africa. But that doesn't stop God. God said, okay, we're not, you know, the church isn't ready to go send missionaries to Ethiopia. Let's bring an Ethiopian man to the church. And uh, it's interesting, that happens today, right? People from uh, unreached nations 
come as students to America. And often God will use uh, international student ministry to reach people so that they can bring the gospel back to their country as well. So what is God up to? He is reaching the nations and making them his chosen sons and daughters. And he's doing it through people, people like you, people like me. And we have to ask ourselves, what part am I playing in this greater plan of God? So before we dig back into Acts chapter 8, and we're going to, uh, I want to just look at this picture painted throughout scriptures. So we see from Genesis 1, God created people, right? Men and women, Adam and Eve, he created them to be good But yet we see also in Genesis chapter 3 that they rebelled against God. They decided we we want nothing to do with God. We're going to do our own thing. And it got so bad by Genesis 6. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a pretty bad indictment of the human race. Every thought of their heart was evil continually. That's what God was looking for. And he he judged the world with the great flood under Noah. But even after Noah, people continued to rebel against God. So God created a new strategy, the divide and conquer strategy. In Genesis chapter 11, there's a story of the Tower of Babel. And we know that story, perhaps. But as a result, God split the people of this world into many nations, people who couldn't understand one another anymore. Um, thousands and thousands of nations and scattered them over the whole earth. And then he decided he was going to start with one nation. And in Genesis chapter 12, God chose one man, Abram, to, to uh, lead this divide and conquer strategy. Genesis chapter 12 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country to your kindred to your fa- uh, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God started with this one man who became one nation, Israel, and said, this is how I'm going to reach all the families of the earth because they're wicked, they're separate. So I'm going to start with Abram. I'm going to start with Israel. And their job is to bring the good news about God to the nations of the earth. God told Israel, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure, treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That was God's call on Israel. Not to just be a a little group of people who just called us, us, and them, them, and just received God's blessing. But their job was to receive God's blessing and send send the the good news about God, a loving Savior, a holy Savior, uh, to the nations. Um, People from every nation would stream to Israel in God's plan and, and hear about this God and then tell their friends and relatives about this. But even God's people, Israel, rebelled against against this plan. They didn't want God's plan, even though they liked the idea of being chosen, but they didn't like the idea that they were chosen for a purpose to reach the nations around them. So finally, because of God's extraordinary love for the nations, God sent his own son. 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, God's purpose throughout all time remained constant when he sent Jesus. His purpose was to adopt people from every nation, every people group, to be his sons and daughters. And we know that Jesus lived that perfect, righteous life. He taught people about the kingdom of God that was coming. And then in the greatest act of love of all time, he offered himself up to die for sins that he didn't commit, for sins that I committed, sins you committed. I mean, that's extraordinary love that God would send his own son in order to bring us salvation, to save us from our sins. And the story, of course, didn't stop there. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And it was interesting, when Jesus rose from the dead, what was he talking to his disciples about? He, like five different times, he gave them the call to the nations. You know, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That was what was on Jesus' mind just before he ascended. Some people say his last command has to be our first concern. So what's God up to? He's pouring out his extraordinary love for the nations. And against that backdrop, I want to look at this story in Acts chapter 8 of the Ethiopian eunuch. Because next I want you to, to look at God's lavish love for individuals like you, like me. This man from Ethiopia was not just, he wasn't just like a representative of his race. He was an individual, someone who was created in God's image that God loved. And I want to show you the extraordinary means that God employed to reach this one man. It's pretty amazing when you look at it. I see at least seven means, you know, uh, people, circumstances that God used to reach this one man for Jesus. And first, I want you to look at verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, just stop right there, back that up. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, you say, whoa. You know, we think in the Bible, all angels are always talking. It's really not the case. I mean, if you look in the New Testament, angels definitely were talking to Mary and Joseph at the time of Jesus' birth. Uh, An angel was sent uh, at the time of Jesus' resurrection. And an angel did talk to the disciples when Jesus ascended into heaven, saying, don't look up there, you know, get get busy. Um, And after that, in the book of Acts, we don't see angels talking anymore until an angel was sent to Philip. So God loved this Ethiopian eunuch so uh, lavishly that he said, I- I've got to get an angel on the case here. That- that's pretty amazing. So don't-, don't read past that. Second, God used an obedient witness named Philip. He was having this amazing ministry in, in Samaria. I mean, Philip went to Samaria. People were coming to Christ. He- you know, there was miracles that were happening. Um, People were being baptized. It was like, this is like, this is everyone's dream that, you know, planting a church in Samaria, you know, following Jesus' order, really, in Acts chapter 1. You know, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria. And it was happening. Um, and in the midst of this great ministry, the angel tells Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And, and Luke, the author of Acts, notes uh, this is a desert place. You know, you, you had to wonder, you know, Philip's saying, wait a minute, I'm having this amazing ministry, and an angel comes to me and says, go to the desert. What? You know, why would I do that? 
But Philip was an obedient servant of God. Because it says in verse 27, and he rose and went. As an example, you know, even when you don't understand what God is up to, you obey what you know. Third, God gave the eunuch the opportunity to travel. Um, Continuing in verse 27, it says, And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official from Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. I was looking at the the map. You know, I thought Ethiopia is just like over the Red Sea from Israel. It's not. It's like 4,000 miles from Jerusalem. 4,000 miles. You know, that's a, back in those days, that was a month-long journey, a hard journey that this Ethiopian had taken to go from his home in Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. Um, Probably a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, if I had to guess. But as a court official in the queen's charge, he took care of the treasury, and he had the resources in order to go to Jerusalem and ultimately to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. When God calls someone, he gives them opportunities often many opportunities, sometimes one opportunity, but God gives opportunities uh, when he decides to draw a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, to himself. The fourth thing we see is that God gave him a heart to worship. It says he came to Jerusalem to worship. I mean, again, think about that. Uh, You know, an Ethiopian man says, I need to go to Jerusalem to worship. Why? Now, I was looking this up. And I didn't know this, but there is an Ethiopian Jewish community that dates all the way back to 500 years before Jesus. Some even say that it dates all the way back to the time of Solomon and Queen Sheba. We don't know, but for at least 500 years before Jesus, there was an Ethiopian Jewish community, and he was apparently a member of that. He um, likely... uh, was a follower of Judaism. That's why he decided that he wanted to go to Jerusalem. He wanted to see the temple. But when he got to the temple, he probably just saw dead ceremonialism and and that kind of thing. And he had a heart to worship. God gave him the desire to take this long journey. And that's what God does in your heart and my heart when he draws us. He gives us a heart that seeks God. I know that's what he did in my my life many, many months before I finally gave my life to Jesus. Jesus said in John 6, he says, No one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. And that's the truth. God puts a a desire to seek him in your heart before you actually express it and go actually seek God. Well, fifth, we see how God in his great love used his word, the Bible, um, to draw people to himself. It says in verse 28, He was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. We can speculate that he probably, when he was in Jerusalem, bought a scroll with Isaiah on it. And that would have been very, very expensive in those days. You know, there was no printing presses. This was all a handwritten scroll. And he, was, he, had, written, he had already read Isaiah all the way up from chapter 1, presumably all the way up to chapter 53. But God has chosen to reveal himself through his word. You know, God can reveal himself through many means, but he has chosen to reveal himself through his word. Um, And we shouldn't take that lightly. You know, people have, billions of people have lived and died having never seen the word of God, never read the word of God, and yet you and I have it so plenteously, we take it for granted. It's on our phones. We've got a stack of Bibles maybe at home in the bookshelf. 
Um, but it's such a privilege to have the Word of God. Um, you know, without the Word of God, we might know that there is a God, but we wouldn't know what kind of God He was. We, didn't, we wouldn't know if He's loving or merciful or gracious. We, we would see what a, what a creative God, but would we know He's a personal God who knows us? We wouldn't know any of that apart from His Word. So God uses His Word to draw people to Himself. And sixth, we see the Holy Spirit was, was guiding the entire event. Verse 29 says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, the eternal Godhead, was speaking to Philip and working in this Ethiopian's heart. You know, first it was an angel, and then it's the Spirit. The Spirit's, you know, Philip saying, What am I doing here? And the Spirit says, Go, that chariot, that's why I called you. Um, and that's what God does. God works in each of our lives to draw us to himself through his spirit. If you think about your own life, if you were a follower of Jesus, what did it take for God to draw you to himself? Maybe it was Christian parents. Maybe it was a Christian friend who shared with you. Maybe it was a Christian broadcast. Um, but it's, but it, for each of us, we can, we can look at our story and say, wow, all the things that God had to do to draw me. I think about my own life in this regard. Um, how many people and events God used to draw me to himself. You know, I was thinking about my own family background. I don't even know much about this, but, you know, I'm told I had a great-grandfather who taught Sunday school for like 50 years in the early days of the Sunday school movement. And I think that probably influenced succeeding generations um, in my family. Uh, I have parents who brought me to church most Sundays. And I don't think I really understood the gospel, but I got the gist of it, you know, my, so I give my parents credit. God used them. Um, I have a friend who became a follower of Jesus in 10th grade, and he, he, he prayed for me, and he kept telling me the gospel, and I couldn't understand it, didn't make any sense to me, uh, but God used him. I went away to college, um, and God opened up for me, opened my eyes to see how empty my partying life was. I mean, I was partying all the time and thought this was the life. And God showed me and said, this is complete emptiness. And I believe that's the Holy Spirit who spoke into my life. God gave me a Christian on my freshman dorm floor who invited me to a Bible study. Um, and God gave me his word, his Bible, that I, for the first time, I started understanding it in that Bible study my freshman year at Penn State. Um, God sent his Holy Spirit to convict me of my sin and ultimately to lead me to faith in Christ. And that's probably only a subset. That's all I know about. There were probably dozens and dozens of other people God used to draw me to himself, ultimately through his spirit. And I bet you have a similar story. If you think about all the different ways that God worked to draw you to faith, maybe in your home groups, maybe that's a discussion you can have just as you think about and tell your stories to one another. And maybe today you haven't become a follower of Jesus yet, but you're sitting here at New Life Church. You know, is there something about that that God has drawn, drawn you here today? He's working in your life. Uh, maybe someone invited you. Uh, so be aware that God is working because he has a lavish love for individuals like you and like me. Well, the seventh thing I see here, which is just, you know, you can't miss, is God's extravagant love for you, for me. Um, God sent his only son, the eternal second person of the Godhood, 
Um, I mean, look at what the Ethiopian man was reading. He's reading the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, which it happens to be the chapter that talks about uh, the suffering servant, the one who would die for his people's sins. And I'm going to read through part of the part of Isaiah 53 that the Ethiopian was reading through. And I want you to take this really personally, because we're talking about God's extravagant, over-the-top love for you. So I'm going to personalize all the all the pronouns here on purpose, although the actual words as translated are up on the screen. Surely he took up my pain and bore my suffering, yet I considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was on him. By his wounds, I am healed. I, like a sheep, have gone astray. I have turned to my own way. And the Lord has laid on him all of my iniquity. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For my transgression, he was punished. Does that say something to you? How great is the love of the Father that he would send his Son for me, for you. And I want you to imagine for a second a story I'm going to tell that maybe illustrates this a little bit. Imagine you went swimming in a river that had obvious signs right in front of you that says, no swimming, fast current. And then you jumped in the river, and before long you found yourself going under and drowning. And then a person that you didn't know jumped into the river and saved you from drowning, but in the process, drowned himself. How would you feel? Humbled, ashamed, unworthy. This person died because of my foolishness, because of my lawlessness. And how much worse would you feel if you went to that person's funeral and found, you know, through the eulogy, that this was the greatest person who had ever lived. And yet they died in the process of saving you. I mean, if that was me, I would want to crawl under a rock. I, I, you know, he died to save. Who was it? Oh, that guy over there. Oh. And yet, um, a thousands more times, when you think about that person, was not just the greatest person who ever lived, but God in the flesh came from heaven to earth to die to save me. You know, over-the-top, extravagant love. God didn't do that to make you feel ashamed. He did that because he loved you that much. That's just not a story. It's the truth. The Apostle Paul wrote, Here is a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. How extravagant God's love that he would 
send his son to live, to die, to rise again, to save you and me. And we have to ask ourselves, what is my response to that? What, what is my response? What has been my response? What should my response be? We see the Ethiopian man's response. In verse 26, it says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. This man believed what Philip told him, what the word of God was telling him, what the spirit was doing in his heart. And he took the first opportunity to say, I want to be baptized. You know, and the idea of baptism, um, certainly believer baptism, is the idea of being associated, to be identified with Christ. That that word baptism in in Greek was often used in the, the the clothing industry, where they would dye clothes. And cloth would be dipped into a tub of dye, and it would come out, and it would come out a certain color. You know, if they dipped cloth into a red vat, it would come out as red cloth. If they dipped it into blue dye, it would come out blue. That cloth would be associated with whatever color was in that tub of dye. And that's what, when we give our lives to Jesus, we're saying, I want to be identified with Jesus. I want my whole life to be identified. I want my whole body, my whole soul, my my spirit to point everyone to say, I am Jesus's. I am identified with Jesus. You know, not that 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 people could actually see you and say, You're one of those Jesus followers, aren't you? When you realize the depth of what Jesus has done for you, the natural response is to want to live for him, to be his representative. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's the natural response. If you really understand what Jesus has done for you, you will want to give your entire life for him. And we're constantly challenged by this world to say, Live for yourself. You know, live it up a little bit. You deserve it. And the Bible says, no, you've, you've been bought with a price. You are not your own. You are Christ. Live for him. Well, I started this message today with a question. What in the world is God up to? We look around us, and things don't make sense. I mean, what's going on in Philadelphia? Maybe what's going on in New Life Church, uh, you know, in the state, in the nation? And we say, Is God really in charge? Look at all the evil all around us. But I I hope you've seen that God is working his plan out for all eternity. He's working it in our midst. And and you don't see it on CNN. You don't see it on MSNBC or Fox News or any of those. It's not reported. And yet the greatest thing that's happening in the world is that God is reaching the nations to call them out to be children of Jesus Christ. And the question is, that you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself, is what is my response? What has been my response? What should my response be? What is God calling me to? You know, if that is the big picture, what God is doing in the world, what part are you playing in it? Are you praying for the nations and for those who are going to the nations? Are you giving sacrificially to the cause of world evangelization? 
Are you going? Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe in little ways. I mean, I'm looking out, and there are those of you in this audience, it's, I won't call names, but it's obvious. You have taken God's call to go, to go to the nations. And that call is not just for them. It's for all of us. So the question is, what will be our response to what God has done in us through Jesus Christ? We're coming now to the Lord's table. Um, and just, I want you to, to ask you just to let the Lord examine you as you ask that question. You know, what is my response to this enormous love of Jesus? What is God calling me to? Maybe he's calling you to a mission across the street. Maybe he's calling you to a mission across the world. Maybe he's calling you to himself for the first time. Or maybe he's calling you back from a desert place. Come. Jesus is calling. Let's pray. Lord, how, how magnificent. Our adjectives are just weak when we think of what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you would be working deeply in our hearts through your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that draws us, the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, the Holy Spirit who leads us in paths of righteousness. Lord, I pray that you would examine us during this time. Thank you, Lord, that we can remember all you've done as we come to your table. In Jesus' name.